0: would like to turn then to Joshua chapter 5 and chapter 6. Um, We know that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that the chapter divisions and the verses um, are not part of God's inspired word. And you'd have to say that whoever decided to Begin chapter six at verse one was distinctly uninspired, um, because chapter six really begins in chapter five, <laughs> chapter five verse thirteen. Chapter five verse thirteen we read, "It came to pass when Joshua was at Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite opposite with opposite him with a sword drawn." in his hand and Joshua went to him and said are you for us or for our adversaries so this armed man appears and Joshua very brave approaches him this armed man sword drawn and Joshua goes to him and says are you friend or foe are you with us or are you against us he confronts this stranger and the stranger doesn't actually answered the question he just tells Joshua who he is as commander of the army of the Lord I have now come I'm neither friend nor foe I'm more I'm more than that I'm commander of the army of the Lord I am over both Israel and the enemies of Israel I am God. Is what this stranger says. He is the Lord. He is altogether different. And Joshua recognises that and falls on his face and he worships. Verse 14. He falls to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Now commentators disagree as to whether this man who appears before Joshua is an angel Or whether it's Christ, for me, it's it's unquestionably Jesus. It's unquestionably um, God in uh, in Christ, because Joshua worships here, and in other places in the New Testament, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, we find people worshiping, and those who are not God turning away that worship. So, in the Book of Acts, for example, the people worshipped. Peter and John, and they both said, no, 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 no. We're just men. Stop worshipping us. We're not God. We are just men. In the Christmas story, we'll remember the the shepherds saw the angels. They didn't worship them because they were not God. But by contrast, Joshua worships the commander of the Lord's army. And the commander of the Lord's army does not Turn that away. He doesn't say no, he accepts it because he is God, he is Christ. And indeed, he says, verse 2, so sorry, verse 15, take off your sandal, for the place where you stand is holy. It's holy ground. Verse 2, chapter 6, verse 2 the Lord said to Joshua, the word Lord there, written in capital letters, meaning Yahweh, meaning Jehovah, the personal name of God. This is God who is appearing before Joshua. And so the tables are turned. And Joshua is no longer looking for a fight. He's no longer looking for a fight. He's suddenly on the back foot. And instead of challenging this stranger, instead he worships. He responds with worship and a question What does my Lord say? his servant and instead of challenging this man Joshua instead asks the question what can I do to serve you and the answer Christ gives him is take Jericho take Jericho chapter 6 verse 2 I have given Jericho into your hand take Jericho And the fall of Jericho is what we're going to be looking at this evening under three different headings, all beginning with God's presence, God's power, God's purpose. God's presence, God's power, God's purpose. So first of all, then, let's look at God's presence. The people of Jericho were frightened of the people of Israel And we're told that the gates were securely barred. They were shut up. Chapter 6, verse 1. Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went in and none came out. And so the people of Jericho sat there behind the enormous walls of the city and they felt safe and they felt secure. And the people of Israel who had to take the city if they were going to take the land that God had promised them. If they were going to conquer the land, they had to take the city. The people of Israel sat in the fields outside Jericho. So the people of Jericho inside, the people of Israel outside. It was a bit of a Mexican standoff, wasn't it? And into this situation, the Lord speaks. Verses 2 through 5 he outlines to Joshua this very strange but very straightforward battle plan the instructions were pretty strange but very precise weren't they take the ark of the covenant and march round the city once and do that for six days seven priests blowing horns the army both in front and behind Do that for six days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. And then on the seventh occasion, shout. And the walls will fall completely flat. Sound a long blast on the trumpet. Shout and the wall will fall flat. And and take the city. That's what you need to do. Strange instructions, but very clear and very precise. And in these instructions, what God is saying is that I am with you. He's saying I am with you. In these strange commands that God has given, the overriding message is I am with you. I am present. God's presence. First of all, we see it in the prominence of the number seven. The prom- prominence of the number seven. Repeated. again. And again, seven days, seven encirclements, seven priests, seven blasts on the trumpet, seven the victory on the seventh <coughs> day, the number seven repeated again and again and again. And in the Bible, the number seven is symbolic, it's significant. It's, it stands really for the completed work of God, the completed action of God. So if you think about the book of Genesis, creation. In seven days. Think about the book of Revelation. Seven churches. Seven lampstands. Fifty-five mentions of the number seven in the book of Revelation. So Genesis through to Revelation. The number seven repeated again and again and again. And it stands for the work of God. The completed work of God. So as Joshua is hearing these instructions, he's he's hearing God is with us. The number seven meant God was present with them. But more importantly, the presence of the ark was significant. The ark was the box in which the, the stone tablets and the Ten Commandments were, were kept in and, and other things as well, but the, the Ten Commandments particularly and it was on this box above this box that God had promised to be with his people. Now God is present everywhere all the time but he said to the people this is where I will be particularly for you. This is where I will be with you in a special way. And so God is saying, take the ark round the city. I am going to be with you. I will be present with you. The prominence of the ark tells Joshua, tells the people, tells us, that God will be present. You'll probably remember the king's coronation last year, and that fantastic procession that left Westminster Abbey after the coronation and went back to Buckingham Palace. The whole procession, a mile and a half long, nearly. And at the centre of it, not literally at the centre, but the focus of it, I guess, was the king. The new King Charles III. He was the focus of it in, in this huge procession. Well, in the same way, our attention is drawn to the Ark. Yes, there is a procession that is going around the city, but our attention is drawn to the ark. notably verse eleven, Joshua had the Ark of the Lord circle the city. It's God's presence. It's as if God is laying siege to the city. And so in the present the presence of God is seen in number seven. it's seen in the ark. Now, for us, The presence of God is so much clearer. We don't see it in symbolism, we see it in Christ. Because in Christ, God is with us. He is present with us in Jesus. It's what we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? You shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus said, I am God. I and the Father are one. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Jesus is God. Jesus is God with us. He is present with us in Christ. Just as God was reassuringly, wonderfully, present with his people at Jericho, so Christ is reassuringly, wonderfully, with his people, present with his church. So when we serve him, He says to us behold I am with you. When we feel anxious he says do not let your hearts be troubled. When we feel alone he says I will not leave you as orphans. When we have sinned he says neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In Christ God is with us. He is present we often pray, don't we? Lord, be with so-and-so. Be with Paul in hospital. We, we pray that, don't we? Lord, be with me in this difficult situation, in my exam, in my interview, in my loneliness. Lord, be with me. And that's what we mean, isn't it, when we pray these things? Lord, be present. Be with me. May... May I be aware of your presence. May they be aware of your presence with them. May they know it. Do we know that God is with us? Do we know it? No matter what our circumstances, no matter what lies ahead, do we know that God is with us? Well, yes, he is. Surely he is with us in Jesus Christ. He is present in Jesus Christ, God's presence. Second, let's look at God's power at Jericho, God's power. The people of Jericho were frightened of the people of Israel and they locked the gates, they barred the gates, they locked themselves away, they hid behind these enormous walls and it was absolutely impossible for the people of Israel to take the city. Impossible. But Christ promises his people victory. The Lord said to Joshua, chapter 6, verse 2, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. I have given Jericho into your hand. He promises his people victory. It's a done deal. I've given Jericho. I've delivered Jericho jericho It's happened already. And what's more, Christ promises complete victory. The city, Jericho, but also its king and its mighty men of valour. Its whole army delivered, given to you, says Jesus. It's complete victory, all of it. And this emphasises that it is by God's power. It's the power, the power of Christ that does the delivering, that, that, that wins the victory. I have given, says Jesus. And if you think about it, it has to be. It has to be by God's power. It has to be. I mean, how does a nomadic people, without a building to their name, take a fortified city? They didn't carry with them siege guns or those catapults with, you know that throw these huge boulders that you see in the films. They didn't have battering rams and scaling towers to, 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 to scale the ramparts. They didn't have any of that. They were wandering. They were a wandering people. How does a people like that take a fortified city? It had to be a work of God. Now, it may well have been an impressive convoy, an impressive pr- procession that went round the city, the armed men the ark, the, the trumpets and, and, and the priests and so on and the sounding of the horns might have struck fear into the people of Jericho you might remember in um, in the World Cup in 2010 the Vuvuzelas, remember those in South Africa, what a racket racket they made you know, the people of Jericho might have been a bit cheesed off by the horns but it's not going to make the walls fall flat is it No, this is a work of God. And the word for collapse here, the word for falling flat here, literally means the walls fell from under them. Fell from under themselves. It's like those, um, on the TV, you see huge buildings being demolished, or great towers being demolished, and the dynamite is laid at the bottom and it explodes, and the whole thing just like... does that doesn't it? Well that's the same word really they fell underneath so it's a complete collapse and a complete collapse of the whole wall not like we see with the police going through the front door battering it down and and the police pour through to make an arrest no, this is the whole wall the whole wall collapses and the people will go up every man straight before him Not sort of after you. (laughs) No, every man, straight the whole wall collapses. This is the power of God at work. It's God's power that secures the victory at Jericho. I wonder if we believe that the same power of God is at work for us today. I wonder if we believe that the same power of God is at work for the church today. Well, it is. It is. And to help us to understand that, it's important to remember the significance of Jericho. Jericho wasn't just significant because it was the first big city that the people of Israel came across when they entered the land of Canaan to possess it. It wasn't just the first big city. It wasn't just the first fortified. I mean, it was the first city, and it was fortified. But there was another significance to it as well. Because the word Jericho means moon city. Moon city. It was named after the moon god. The god of the Canaanites, the moon god. And so the significance of of the people of Israel taking Jericho also lay in the fact that it was symbolic of the Canaanite religion. It wasn't just the cities that were being taken. It was the whole of their religion... Two. The God of Israel was defeating the religion of the Canaanites. Now if you turn to Matthew chapter 16, we see how Jesus promises exactly the same thing for the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15. Jesus asks his disciples, Matthew 16 verse 16, verse 15. He says, Who do do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So just as the commander of the Lord's army promises victory over the city of Jericho, so the commander of the Lord's army promises to build his church. I will build my church. And do you see the parallel? Do you see the parallel? The gates of Jericho were securely barred. No one came in, no one went out, securely barred, securely shut. But God breaks them down. (coughs) Well, do you see what Jesus says? He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The gates of Hades keep people locked in. They are securely barred. People are lost, trapped inside. The gates of Hades, though, will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. The church will prevail. Those gates will be be torn down. And the prisoners will be freed. That's what Jesus promises. Jesus will rescue those who are being saved. And that is the power of God at work today. Just as the gates of Jericho did not prevail, so the gates of Hades will not prevail Today. Jesus declared in the Great Commission, didn't he? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. All authority has been given to me, therefore go. Do we believe it? Do we believe that all authority has been given to Jesus? He's still the commander of the Lord's army. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? He still has the power to save. Do we believe it? Perhaps we do. Perhaps we do. But perhaps also we feel weak and perhaps also we think about the resources that we have at our disposal. But when we remember that it's not about our power, it's about the power of Christ, then we can be confident. We can be confident. We serve the Lord who took a city simply by walking around it. We serve a Lord before whom the gates of hell will not prevail. Remember who it is who is the commander of the Lord's army. It is Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 10, verse 3, He says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Paul is saying it's not about human power. It is about the power of God. Our weapons are not... They're not carnal; They're not of the flesh. They're not of ourselves. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments. It is God's power that is at work. Paul knew it wasn't about his power. He knew it was about God's power. Joshua knew that it wasn't about his power, but that it was about God's power. We should know that it isn't about our power either. But instead, let us listen to the commander of the Lord's army who says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as she goes forward. I will build my church, says Jesus. And just as he said, I have given Jericho into your hands, as if it had happened already, so as he says, I will build my church, it is happening now. We can be confident. Not because it's our power, but it's his power, the power of God. At work at Jericho, at work for the church today. Let us trust in the power of God to build his church. Finally, let us think about God's purpose, God's purpose. What is God teaching us here? What is the purpose of this story? What is the main theme of this story? When we read Old Testament stories like the Battle of Jericho, the temptation is to kind of transplant ourselves into the story and make the story about us, make it about me. Think of possibly the most famous story in the Old Testament, David and Goliath. The temptation is to look at that story and to say, with God on our side, we can defeat the giants in our lives. That's how we often read the story. But we're wrong to do that, because the story isn't about us at all. The point of the story is that Goliath couldn't be beaten except for God. Goliath, that huge giant that faced the people of Israel, over nine foot tall, threatening them, send out a champion to fight me, And we're told the whole army of Israel were in fear of their life because of this one man. They couldn't save themselves, they couldn't fight Goliath. No, they needed someone to rescue them. They needed a saviour. They needed God to intervene. And God does intervene. In the form of this boy, David, who takes some stones and a sling and kills the giant. David defeats, Israel, uh, defeats Goliath and David therefore saves Israel. And the point is not with God on your side you can overcome the giant. No, The point is you can't and you need God to do it for you. We cannot save ourselves. The point of David and Goliath is that we need God to rescue us. It's about God's victory for us. And it's the same with the battle of Jericho. The message of the battle of Jericho is not about us. If you obey God, you will have victory. If you have faith in God, He will give you victory over your enemies. It's not about us at all. It's about God. We need a saviour. The story of Jericho is ultimately about salvation. It's about salvation. And salvation is God's purpose. Because the real hero of this story is not Joshua at all. The real hero of this story where our focus should be is actually Rahab. Rahab. Rahab is saved from death. Rahab is saved from destruction. Now think about Rahab. Think about her. She can't possibly save herself. She can't possibly save herself. Firstly, she's a pagan and she's under the judgement of God. Secondly, she's a prostitute. The text is very clear about that, repeats it. She can't save herself. Thirdly, she lives in a city that is completely doomed to destruction and its people are going to be slaughtered. She cannot possibly save herself. But against all these odds, she is saved. What is it that saves her? Her character, her goodness, her life of service to the poor of her community? No, of course not. Of course not. No, she puts her faith in the God of Israel. She trusts in the God of Israel. In chapter 2 of of Joshua we see how she hides the spies that were sent by Joshua to spy out Jericho. She realises that the God of Israel is real and he he is the Lord. And she abandons her old life. She abandons the gods of Jericho and and Canaan. And she turns instead to the God of Israel and says, I'm going to hide these spies because these guys are on the right side. I'm going to trust in their God because I know that he is the one true God. And so God saves her from judgment. Chapter 6 and verse 25. chapter six, verse twenty five Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messages, messengers that Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. This is the story of the Battle of Jericho, the rescue the salvation of Rahab. Rahab is saved, and remarkably, as we learn through the book of Ruth and through the Gospel of Matthew, Rahab is an ancestor of Christ himself. It's an astonishing story, isn't it? But that's where our focus should be, the salvation of Rahab. She is saved, and we can be saved too. We can be saved. Because like Rahab, we need to be Save. We need to be saved because we cannot save ourselves. We are no better than Rahab. No better. We've got nothing we can bring God. Nothing to present to him. We either had or perhaps still have absolutely no interest in God whatsoever. Why should God save us? We're absolutely no better than Rahab. We are under his judgment. Our lives, like Rahab's, are compromised by what we have done, and said, and thought. We've got nothing we can bring God. Nothing at all. Like Rahab, we live in a world where men and women reject God. A world that is doomed to destruction, just as Jericho was. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Peter says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are, that are in it will be burned up. That's the fate that is coming to the world. And it's our fate too. Unless, unless we are saved. Unless we are rescued. Just as Rahab did. We live in a world that is doomed to destruction. But just as God's purpose then was salvation to save Rahab so God's purpose today is salvation to save men and women and boys and girls to save to rescue just as Rahab was saved from the ruins of her life and the ruins of a doomed city so God saves us from the ruins of our life and the ruins of this world Rahab turned her back on her old people her old life and she put her trust in the God of Israel and was saved so too we are called to repent and to turn our back on our old way of life to put our trust in the God of Israel through Jesus Christ and be saved we need to repent and be saved saved because this is God's purpose then with Rahab and now for us salvation. this really is the story of Jericho God's purpose salvation. So we've been looking at the fall of Jericho this evening the fall of Jericho three different things God's presence in the in the ark and in the number seven. We've seen it today in Christ, God's presence with us in Jesus. We've seen God's power at work in how the walls fell flat simply by the people walking around them, God's power. And now, today, as God builds his church, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And thirdly, we've seen God's purpose. Rahab rescued them So today, people rescued now as we turn in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. So God's presence, God's power, God's purpose. Then and now. Then for the people people of Israel. Today, for us, in Jesus Christ, our Lord.